Hey all, this is Kaylin Josephson, and you're listening to the Beyond the Fourth Wall Writing Podcast. I am the author of The Stormcrow, which is a young adult fantasy book about a girl who ignites a rebellion to bring back the magical elemental crows that were taken from her people. You are now listening to Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing with your host, John Robinson IV. Here we smash walls, demolish writer's blocks, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get it cracking. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Beyond the Fourth Wall podcast. I am your host, John Robinson IV. And today with me, I have Cal... I don't want to... Don't let me mispronounce your name. <laughs> Kalen. <laughs> Kalen. Okay, see, I was about to say Kalen. <laughs> it looks like Kalen. <laughs> right, okay. Kalen jo- uh, jo- Josephson? Okay, got it. All right. See, I didn't do it too bad. I'm, I'm horrible <laughs> with names. It's, it's the three syllables that throws people off. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, she is the author of The Storm Crow, which I came across the book almost by a whim. And I'm so glad I found it because uh, I found it incredible, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, before we like really get into rolling into the technical talk like we always do, you want to tell uh, people a little bit about... Um, I guess, but actually, before we get to anything, I usually, I usually always go over writing process. Like when you sit down at the blank screen, uh, what is it that you do to get yourself geared up to, uh, to get the book started? Uh, you know, this is, this has evolved a lot over the last few books that I've written. I used to kind of just dive headlong into it. Um, but I've noticed recently, especially with work from home life, I do need to kind of start ramping up to really get in the mindset. Um, So usually what I'll do is I'll reread the last couple chapters of whatever I had written just Mm -hmm. to give me kind of like back in the world and the voice and remember what the heck I was doing because I always forget. Um, And then I usually take some time and do a little bit of plotting before I get involved in the actual writing because if I kind of just throw my way into it, I've noticed that I get burned out really quickly. Right, right. Yeah, that, I, I think that's a that's a huge thing for people too. Uh, uh, the the plotting part, you know, people say, "Hey, sit down at the table and to write, you just you just do it. You just start putting words on the table." But then people are kind of like, "Well, but what do I put on the on the table or on the you know the word processor or the pad or whatever? You know, what yeah. do I actually start writing down? You know, if if I didn't think about what I was going to write beforehand, you know, exactly. Um, <laughs> I know a so, lot of people will um, say like. Oh, just write, you know, treat it like a job. No matter what you do, just sit down and get some words down and write. But mm-hmm. for me, if I do that and I'm not happy with what I've written, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. And if I don't feel like I've accomplished mm-hmm. anything, I'm going to keep sitting there. Right, and exactly. So I, I need to know that what I'm putting down is purposeful and moving me forward instead of just like, oh, okay, I got some words. Right, exactly. And, and, then, and then it's like, it's very, I don't know, do, do you work a, like, a, like a day job type I do, thing? yeah. Yeah, so when, when, you work a, when you work a day job as well, um, in addition to writing, then, you, then you're dealing with the, the tired, you know, you're mm-hmm. after work, it's tired, I'm, I'm, I'm tired, I don't really know what I was going to write, yeah. to begin with. <laughs> yeah, exactly, oh, it's the, it's the, oh, there's a, there's a term for this, but basically you only have the mental power to make so many decisions in a day, mm-hmm. and so when you've been making decisions all day at work and throughout your life, and you get home and it's six or seven o'clock, and you mm-hmm. have to start making decisions about what's going to happen in your book. It's just, there's nothing there, especially right. for me. I experienced that a lot. And so I know that if I can take some time and just like 
even at the end of a writing session and come up with what am I going to work on next or mm -hmm. make this writing session about what I'm going to write next, but not actually write it and just kind of not have to do both the decision-making and the writing aspect. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's a little overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I find, do you, do you ever uh, do plotting? Like, I don't know how, how bad traffic is where you are, <laughs> but like in traffic or. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, it got, I have a, um, old school tape recorder uh -huh. because I didn't That's obviously good. want to be fumbling with my phone while I'm driving. And this, I can literally just without looking, reach, push a button, turn it on, push a button, turn right. it off and mm -hmm. just say whatever I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise I, I actually commute about an hour to work. Mm, um, yeah. And I would think of something like 10 minutes in and be like, all right, you must remember <laughs> this when you get to work. <laughs> and I never do. Right. 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 Yeah. It's, all, it's like, for, for me, the, the best, like, Dialogue, especially dialogue, especially dialogue, uh, it, it, because it's so natural is when I'm, when I can't think about anything else because I'm, because I'm driving, um, or, or of course the shower is like the, yeah. the shower is like, like the shower <laughs> of dreams. It's just like, it washes like just ideas over you. Then yep. when you get out, it's like they're gone. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that and going to bed. Right. Yeah. You, you go, you go to bed like, okay, I have to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, like my mind's clear. Exactly. <laughs> and then if you hop up out of the bed, you might have like a like 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 the, like five minutes of like pure organic like magic, <laughs> and then it's like oh I can't think anymore. <laughs> yep, yep. And then you have to wait for the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay, you go back to bed. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I like yeah. I, I think a lot of writers probably experience the same thing and. Honestly, I think really, I, I always have, I, I always talk about the concept of turning your writer's brain on. Mm -hmm. And I think if your, your mind is, is, is turned on and geared to accepting ideas on a regular basis, ex accepting, mm -hmm. you know, thoughts that may come to your mind about dialogue. I mean, that the weirdest things can give you, um, like with the weirdest out of context in your real life stuff can give you ideas for dialogue, like within your story, you know, oh, yeah. my roommates <laughs> um, and stuff will say stuff all the time and I'll be like, that's going in a book. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, or, or sometimes jokes people make that are just like really like, like really specific, but somehow it fits into the, into your story. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> so it makes it sound really organic in, in, in your book. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really big on the idea of plotting. So I, I, I would assume that you're more of a plotter than a pantser is, is, you know, yeah, definitely. And yeah. I, I've leaned more into that recently. Um, I always kind of went back and forth where I, I would plot a little bit and then write and then go back and plot a little bit and then write. Mm -hmm. um, but recently I've been moving towards more outlining all of all of my arcs and everything. And I, I really, right. really like it. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I find it hard now. I mean, at some point I, I was I was like just writing whatever came to mind. Mm -hmm. um, I find it harder to do that now because when I don't have a roadmap in front of me, it feels so much more like, I, I, I don't, I don't know where to go, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, I don't, I don't know where to go. It's kind of, uh, I feel like I, I start to think about the future. Like, okay, I'm gonna have to edit the crap out of this because I'm going to write <laughs> random stuff that yes. won't work. Uh, I mean, I, I guess the good thing about pantsing is that some of that random stuff that you write does come become some of your best stuff. Once you cut out all of the, all of the other stuff, like all the yeah, gunk around totally. it, you know, kind of like, yeah. like, like you use a cookie cutter <laughs> and you cut off all the gunk around, you know, and then you have your shape that's in the middle, but it's like, man, there's so much more cookie that I just cut out over here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. Yes. And I feel like, you know, one of the things that pantsers really like about the way that they draft is the discovery of the story. 
mm-hmm. as they go. But I personally don't want to be surprised by my own story because <laughs> right. then it just ruins all my planning. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I honestly, I don't know if it's the best way to go about it. Um, I mean, there is no one way. There's a, there's a billion ways mm-hmm. to write. But um, I found that um, when you start a story, it's it might be a good might be a good idea to pants when you start. Like your first chapter, you know, you're going, because first of all, before you write your first chapter or, or prologue or something, you already have some idea of something in your head, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to write, those ideas are going to come out first. You're just writing, writing, writing. And then after that, you might not know where you're going yet, but then maybe you keep on writing anyways. Um, mm-hmm. And then you don't know exactly what's going on, but you start to develop things naturally as you go. And yeah, some of it's going to be edited out, but now you're starting to figure out, oh, wow, maybe my theme is about this. I didn't realize that my character that, I don't know, turns into a, dragon or something (laughs) would also have to deal with these things because now that i'm writing it out (laughs) you know i can see the the repercussions of randomly turning into a dragon and what my people you know might think of me and you know whatever you know why am i turning so now now you're asking yourself questions which will develop into plotting later anyways you know oh definitely yeah it's easy to say oh this character has this personality trait but then you stick him in a scene and you start to see like well, what does that mean? What what are they going to do because they have that trait? And what what consequences is that going to have for the plot? And mm-hmm. my, my planning definitely develops and learns from my writing. Um, right, right. Absolutely. We flush things out. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about, about world building because in, in Stormcrow, one, one of the one of the coolest things, I think, are all the kingdoms. Like, I, I'm, I'm, like I'm so simple. I'm immediately smitten <laughs> by, like, when there's multiple well-defined kingdoms that have, like, uh-huh. w- different cultures that are, like, obvious you know yes, <laughs> so, yes, so when, I, when i when i get in there and i see like the like the rodarian uh well am i pronouncing that right let me yeah okay <laughs> so i, I see like the rodarian kingdom and then Karov the, the karovi you know mm-hmm. where he was from and and then i and then i see like how like you don't like punch us with it like uh lord of the rings but you know sometimes mm-hmm. he'll give like a <laughs> back in the day he like write a novel Per introduction of every culture, yeah. right? <laughs> but but we get enough of it, like like in the storm, and of course we all we all learn from stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean we 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 learn like we learn from um Tolkien's work, and then how he Definitely. has these vast kingdoms that we learn how to like give it to people in spoon you know spoonfuls that are they could swallow down easily. So mm-hmm. like I like even though I don't know a whole bunch of, about the like the Karobi, for example, um, I know enough for it to be intriguing. I know enough. For me to be more interested, which I think is another a good trait. I know enough for me to get interested about Kiva and where she's from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of the cool thing about uh, you know, well, one of the one of the cool things that I found uh, when I when I read Stormcrow. Uh, so I kind of want to ask, like, um, first, how many kingdoms do you have <laughs> in, this, in the Stormcrow? Like, how how vast is 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 this world? <laughs> I'm not looking at a map right now don't worry about that <laughs> um one two three four five five that was okay, sorry awesome. i forgot i forgot the ambrils yeah oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> and, and, oh and then the way every, everybody moves like they're like really spy like you know kind mm-hmm. of like like the really uh uh roguish kind of people at least mm-hmm. that's what i got from it when i was when I was reading through, like hiding in the shadows, um, you know, gathering intel, mm-hmm. uh, that that kind of thing, knowing information, like like I feel very much like um, while they some of them may be very combat worthy, that their their true power is an in intelligence, you know, like what yeah. they know um, and what they can and what they can not only what they know but what they can uh, deliver to other people mm-hmm. without you know other people know like people in power knowing that they're delivering that info. 
Yeah, so totally. um, like the servant that that uh, that Kiva likes earlier, I can't remember. Oh, Ayuma. Oh, there we go. There we go. So Kiva, I'm sorry, I read the book a few months ago. <laughs> no worries. So I yeah, the, yeah, the servant that the uh, <laughs> servant that that, 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 that Kiva uh, uh, meets earlier in the book, we find out later on that, that she's a spy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was super intriguing to me. Um, <laughs> And, and, and so it's, it's, that, it's that kind of thing that I like. So I, I kind of want to know when it comes to the world William and, and fleshing out these different kingdoms, uh, what's your, what was your process for defining these, defining the different cultures? Mm. Um, so I've noticed, you know, a trend in, in my stories, I always do multiple kingdoms, even if they're not involved in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Cause it makes worlds feel bigger to me. And one of my favorite things are giant fantasy worlds that feel mm-hmm. super expansive. Right. Um, when I do that, I always, I make little, basically, they're like character bios, but they're for my, my kingdoms. And it, they'll go through everything from um, their government to cultural, cultural things to uh, geography, uh, weather, everything. Mm-hmm. And I'll fill that out for each one. Um, and c- kind of with a focus on trying to make them cohesive, like how does right. one thing influence another? Um and I, I try to pick when I'm actually putting that information in the book itself. I try to pick things that are kind of identifiers, like Elusha's mm-hmm. military or the crows for Odair, or a lot of the Ambrils is heavy on mythology and mm-hmm. ocean related things. So, like, I, I try to pick one or two things and just focus on those, which hopefully gives the reader the impression like there is more mm-hmm. than what I'm saying. But absolutely. Yeah, all you that, need to know is this. That's that's very much how it feels. That's very much how it feels. And I, and I think I think that's a really good method. Um, picking a few things, um, that is important to those people. I, I mean, it makes me think think about. Um, and I never really thought of the concept from this direction. So this is this is really good. Um, it makes me think about. Uh, I'll just uh, Game of Thrones. Who are the the, the Dothraki, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, and and they, and they have a really uh, a, a strong um, uh, what's the word? Uh, not faith really, but <laughs> they regard highly like horses, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, and, and, and they're very warrior driven race, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then there's, there's, there's other like the man, I'm, I'm about to blank on like everything from Game <laughs> of Thrones. Uh, but, but the Jesus, and I read all these books, <laughs> um, the, the, the people that live out in the, on the, in the salt water, islands what is, what what are those people oh what is, uh what is that may never die those people uh, yeah yeah and, and they're really strong on on you know the water and the, and the salt and stuff like that yeah. but in any case <laughs> the, forgive, uh, my, my, my forgetfulness aside because <laughs> it kind of randomly I, like when i do these podcasts I, I legitimately randomly pull things from different things that i've read knowing <laughs> i'm not gonna remember all the details <laughs> but 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 they always spark something in me because like the little bits and pieces of those cultures mm-hmm. stick with me and that's what makes them so good you know mm-hmm. um so so yeah you know you get you get um um, there's, there's like something that they're they're really involved in that helps define their culture, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think it's really cool that like that I, never, I never really thought about from the perspective of picking a, a couple of things mm-hmm. and and then and then having that be a part of their culture. I mean, even the Rodarians with the uh, um with the with with the crows, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's that's a really big deal, you know. Um, and and it, not to mention crows in general was not. I mean. I mean, actually, when I was, like, researching, so after I read a book, I always, like, do, like, research on elements in the book. I didn't realize how big in, um, like, like magical mythology and stuff like that the, the crows were. 
you know? Yeah. And I was like, wow, I, I never really thought of, I mean, I think of dragons and stuff like that, right? I never yeah. really thought of like crows though, like as a magical, like, like a, like a magical bird or, or, or like a, ma- yeah, like, 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 a, like a magical entity, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so like seeing that in the book and then seeing how highly they're regarded and then seeing the different types of crows, uh, especially at the beginning of the book, uh, you know, I, I was like really taken by that. I was like, wow, that's, that, that's, that's awesome. Um, and, then it, and, then it, and then it killed me because immediately all the crows get killed. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I know it's going to happen, but it's in, the, it's in the book description. Like, you know, like the, like the blurb, like before you read uh-huh. the book. So you know it's going to happen, but it's like, but I love them already. Like, <laughs> I know my mom still hasn't forgiven me for that. Right, right. Uh, but, but, it, but also, I mean, that's, that's a really good way to get the reader to the book because uh, a big thing about story building is, establish or, or or plotting rather es- establishing your world telling people this is the norm and then like destroying that norm <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so yeah. you do that very well in the, in the first chapter or so of uh <laughs> it's funny because um when i first wrote the book it didn't have the prologue and mm-hmm. i i got my agent without the, without the prologue and then one of the things that she and i just kept coming back to was that so much of this story is about Thea's personal relationship with the crows and what she loses when they get destroyed, but you never see what she had. Um, right, exactly. And yeah. so we, we decided to take on the dreaded prologue and give it a go. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it really added a new layer to the story because you, you see just how integrated the crows are into everyday life and what it means both mm-hmm. for her kingdom and for herself for them to be lost. Right, um, absolutely. Which is probably i would say where i started with the world building for rodare specifically mm-hmm. um it was definitely crows first and then okay well what would develop in a place that had access to this kind of magic mm-hmm. um and that's that's where everything from the the architecture to the the art came from was what would it look like if you had giant magical crows running your city <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I, I also have to make a comment of um with these cultures is that there's also a distinct diversity amongst the cultures. And that is a big deal. I mean, even though you can't see the people in the book, you know, but but still uh, reading like, I mean, but people form, you know, they form, you form images in your mind as you read a book. Mm -hmm. It's like a movie in your head, you know? Um, So as I was reading and and at times when I was in my car listening, (laughs) uh, uh, reading the book, you know, like, um, you know, me being black, and of course, and then there's, you know, there's lots, lots of black fantasy fans out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, getting this this image of the I, I, I'm not sure if the if, if the majority of the of the the Rodare people are are black or or bronze skinned or brown skinned, uh, mm-hmm. but but I know Thea uh, Thea and uh, and Kaliza at least yeah. is Kaliza the right pronunciation? Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, uh, yeah, Thea and, and Kaliza are, are are both, and and so that that kind of imagery. I mean, it's, I mean, it's such a small thing to do, but it's also such a big thing. Like, it means a lot to mm-hmm. to, to readers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it's all, and also, it, it's it's naturally implemented. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it's like it's like just like hammered in there. <laughs> it's just like it's it's a natural um, implementation of diversity, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing is good. And on top of not only racial diversity, the women in this book are like <laughs> the most badass women. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, like as much as I hate uh, Razelle, like I also <laughs> love her because she's like, like she, she's not like that queen that like sits there and like gives orders. It's mm-hmm. like 
she can back up, <laughs> you yeah. know, like she can back up like her, like the fact that their, their, their kingdom is a warrior type kingdom. She is mm-hmm. also a warrior queen. Mm-hmm. And I was, I mean, I, honestly, I was like, man, is this one of those stories where the main character dies early? Because <laughs> when she challenged uh, the, I was like, yo, she's not going to be able to handle her. <laughs> True. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean that that kind of that kind of stuff is is really really awesome. Um, did, did you have any like, like when it comes when it came to like creating these characters, were, were there was there a particular theme when it to do, or did these characters come naturally? How did the character creation process go for you? Um, oh, my characters kind of just like show up in my head, fully formed, and are like, "Hey, <laughs> here's who I am." Right. Um, and I think. With Thea in particular, her character developed heavily from, I wanted to slow down and say, well, what happens to someone whose entire way of life and all of her hopes and dreams and the people that she cares about, what happens when all of that gets taken away? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is why there's a big focus on depression in the story, because... I knew that, you know, Thea couldn't just walk away from all that and move on. It was mm-hmm. too much. It was very um, traumatic. Yeah. And I, I had read a lot of fantasy books where, you know, big, terrible things happen and then the characters move on. Mm-hmm. And it just, it always kind of rang a little hollow to me. Um, right. Not because, you know, people can't do that, but because I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and having dealt with depression myself, Thea's character was kind of uh, a reflection of that and an exploration of it, Um, Mm -hmm. which was kind of one of the biggest challenges of the book because maintaining a plot, especially a fast-paced YA fantasy plot, Mm -hmm. while focusing on somebody's mental state is difficult. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. I mean, but I think it was balanced well because you didn't, like, you didn't spend too much time on it, but you spent enough time because I believe that she was dealing a lot with the depression up until and before she met Erickson, right? Mm -hmm. And that's still relatively, you know, in the first third of the book. Um, So the the fact that she's dealing with all that, and and especially, I I like the fact that you established that everybody deals with depression differently. Because because Kaliza was kind of harping on her a little bit, like you know, get out of bed. Like, mm-hmm. why are you why are you still acting like this? Everybody else has kind of moved on. You've got mm-hmm. to move on too. And 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 Thea didn't she didn't even really know what it was. She didn't even know why she couldn't get past it. But everybody deals with things differently. So I thought it was cool that um we that we established earlier in the book, like okay, that she's dealing with depression in this way, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit slower than other people, but at the same time, she was still a very strong character because when it came to Erickson, man, she was, she would not like when Erickson first showed up, she was like, I am not letting this guy, <laughs> like, I'm not going to be flustered by him. I'm not going to be mm-hmm. scared of him. I don't care if his people, what these people just did to my, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be looking all, I, I'm going to stand up to this dude and no matter what he does, I'm going, I'm going to be a thorn in his side. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> she most definitely is that. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I liked that. And then, and then, I mean, I mean, again, like there's so much about this as well written because she tries to do the same thing with Rizelle and she does do the same thing with Rizelle, but Rizelle is also a much stronger character even than Erickson. Yes, so definitely. it was like, I'm going to stand up to you too. And Rizelle's like, yeah, it's uh, so, you know, going back to what you said about there being a lot of strong female characters and right. connecting that to 
how did I develop the characters that I did? Um, I had reached a point in my reading where, and my writing, where I, w- I was stuck in this mindset of to write a strong female character, I had to write someone who was physically powerful and mm. physically capable. And I was conflating strength with physicality. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because that was what I was seeing in the books that I was reading. And part of that is because that's what society tells me. Right. Um, right. And I had just started to kind of break through that when I started to write this book. And that's one of the big things of the, the story is strength comes in many forms. Mm-hmm. And what I really wanted to do was write a bunch of women whose power came from different places. Mm-hmm. Like you have Thea whose family and friends are everything to her and they, they are her source of strength. And then you have Kiva who, who is that physical, I can beat you down person. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> Kaliza whose, whose intelligence and mind are her strength. And I, I wanted to get, a bunch of different perspectives on what that means. Right, right. No, yeah, I think that's, I think it's established very well. And then like, honestly, Rizelle is like a combination of those things. I mean, she's a queen, mm-hmm. clearly very intelligent. She's, I mean, I don't know if she is or not, but to me, she seems like literally the most formidable fire in the kingdom. Mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> like, um, and, you know, so she, like, it's there's, there, there's not, a good way like she's like the big boss like mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> and, and uh you know as, as far as far as thea and, and thea her power obviously comes from well i mean Thea is very very strong and determined and mm-hmm. um and she has this strong connection to uh not only her family and friends but uh her culture and, mm-hmm. and and with that culture being the crows so when she finally does hatch the crow later on books are spoilers Sorry, everybody was red. <laughs> well, uh, but there's a crow <laughs> later on. <laughs> and when she finally does hatch the crow later on in the book, and she starts to like, like her, her, um, I guess her, her, her nurturing kind of personality. Cause, cause the crow wasn't immediately like a boss out the air. I mean, it's a baby, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so she's like her nurturing and, and, and like strengthening this, 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 this crow over time, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of see, her power developed from that. Um, Definitely. And, and while we're on the the subject of of the crows, um, the magic system is in here. Uh, I love how like there's very like subtle like there's magic, but it's, but it's like subtle magic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, except for with the crows, the crows are like clearly the all powerful things. But I mean, because they all die at the beginning, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like like magic in general seems to be like like very. Uh, like everybody on the street aren't are just buying mana potions and, and shooting fireballs. Right. You know, uh, it's, it's very much uh, a, a specific kind of thing that it has that contains magic. And there's mm-hmm. a very specific way to activate it. And with the crows, I won't say the spoiler on here, <laughs> but, but, but the way that the, that the crows, well, I'll, I'll, rather, rather, I'll, I will preface this by saying, if you want to read the book, here is the spoiler for the crows, because we do have to get into the talk of this magic mm. system and how it works. Um, so how, I, I wanted to kind of figure out, um, what your process was with, for, uh, for coming across or for developing the, the magic system with the crows tied to the blood of the, the, if I'm, if I'm correct, I mm-hmm. believe they're tied to the blood of the Rodarian people or, or mm-hmm. specifically her family line of the yes. Rodarians. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Um, so the way that it works, well, I guess there's two parts to this magic system. There's the crows power itself, what, what they can do, you know, shadow crows and wind crows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came from, since I was focusing on the connection between magic and society in this kingdom i thought well, what kind of powers would be most useful to a 
kingdom mm-hmm. growing and elemental ones seemed natural to that. Right, um, right. But I also didn't want to do just your basic four elements. So mm-hmm. that's where the other four came from. Yeah. Um, in terms of the blood connection, I can't say too much about this because you get real answers in the sequel. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> but uh, from what's said in the first book, um, basically what, what it's implied the way that it works is that there is something passed down hereditarily between parents to children in um, mm-hmm. writers, crow writers, right. that enables them to bond with a crow. How that works, I cannot say. <laughs> <laughs> got you, got you. Um, but was it was it really a was it was it a process of? Um, so actually, actually, I, I kind of get the idea of what what would be helpful to to a kingdom. I mean, mm-hmm. that's good because that helps define how that kingdom runs. I mean, not only are the are the crows powerful in terms of like you know battle strength and people are not going to mess with them because of that but also mm-hmm. because hey we're a flourishing kingdom because these crows i mean it, it, there's the i can't remember which kind it is but the ones that fly over the over the crops and make sure the crops are you know are, the are growing water crows and storm crows okay got you water crows and storm crows so so yeah yeah I, I like that being the basis and then making sure that the crows aren't just like all all powerful you know yeah. <laughs> like like the crows have uh you know specific sets of power except for thea's crow who seems to have <laughs> have multiple forms of power <laughs> we won't get too far we won't get too deep into that but her crow seems to be multifaceted um mm-hmm. and I, I had theories about that as i was reading i was like oh that's interesting and i was wondering if i mean again you don't have to answer because i'm sure this will this will come out in the in the writer uh in the, in the storm, uh, the crow rider, um, but yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I was wondering. I was like, is there, is there like maybe a pool of power, and maybe mm. th- this this crow, this crow, is getting other pieces of this of this pool of power, you know, from what the other crows usually would have, <laughs> but the, because he's the only one left. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't like. I, I mean. I'm, I'm, I don't know, thinking of like a, like a man, there's like a mana source uh-huh. in the, I don't know, in the world or whatever. And usually it's, it's divided up between the crows, but because it's the, well, not the only crow, um, mm-hmm. but right now the only hatched crow that we know of, uh, maybe her crow got more of of this, of these abilities than others mm-hmm. because, because there's no other ones to like take it up. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but in any case, in any case, um, also there's, there's the idea that it seemed like the crow called to her when it was still mm-hmm. an egg. So that was, mm-hmm. that was another thing I was thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, I, I think it's an awesome magic system. Um, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really big on magic systems because otherwise you get Gandalf. I'm not mad at Gandalf. I'm not harping on Lord of the Rings. <laughs> okay, I love Gandalf. Okay, Gandalf works. The, but what Gandalf, Gandalf works. Do? <laughs> Gandalf works because they don't rely on him to solve the problems. Right. Um, if they relied on Gandalf to solve the problems, the Lord of the Rings would be very bad. But because mm-hmm. Tolkien is a good writer, he relied on. The hobbits, the the seemingly most smallest and least effective people in the world, mm-hmm. to do the most grandiose things. That's what's also about Lord of the Rings. Um, but but uh, I, I like the idea of even though Gandalf is awesome, I like the idea of also very well defining somebody's powers and how they work and what their limitations are, and then mm-hmm. using what they have within their abilities to do creative things to to solve problems. You know. Yeah. You know, we were talking um, about uh, Mistborn before this started. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely say he's an influence there. I, I had recently read Mistborn nice. uh, when writing this, and I was I loved the idea of just having such a structured magic system 
mm-hmm. um, and being able to put a little thing in the back of the book, which I did. That's like, this one can do this and this one can do this. Right. Um, yeah, I was definitely influenced by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sanderson is, um, that's a writer who I, I've, I actually I actually watched on YouTube, watched his classes and read some mm-hmm. of his uh, blog posts before I ever read anything that he wrote. And the, the first and only thing so far that I've read that he's written was uh, Mistborn. And everybody keeps telling me, oh, that's not even the best. Just wait till you read, I think it's Stormlight. Wave Kings. Or oh, Wave Kings. Oh, I, I, that that's another one. <laughs> I think people keep mentioning that Star, Stormlight or something like that. Or? Stormlight, yeah, that's that's the first book in the, the Wave Kings. Sorry, Wave Kings is the first book in the Stormlight archives. Oh, Very. that's what it is. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. people keep telling me, oh, you think Mistborn is good? Wait till you read that. You know? <laughs> he, like... I was watching a lecture recently when he was talking about the way he developed the magic system for Stormlight. And mm-hmm. he basically said that he went into it and he was like, all right, I'm going to have 25 different defined magic systems. Right. And then I realized that was really difficult. So I'm going to do 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 10, <laughs> 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 which he does. And it's incredible. Right. Right. I, yeah. I, I, lo- I love that kind of stuff. I, I love that. Kind of, cause, cause, you, Cause you get a sense of, I mean, again, Gandalf or, or, Dragon Ball Z characters, you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z characters, they, like, you don't really know their upper limit. They just keep powering up, you know? <laughs> and they just shoot, like, beings of power. I mean, there's some kind of, you know, there's some defined abilities. But, I mean, mostly they're shooting beings of power. And don't get me wrong, yeah. I love Dragon Ball Z. I, I watched it from yeah, yeah. a kid. But, I mean, like, when I really think about it, uh, the reason why Naruto, I'm not going to anime talk a little bit, but the reason why Naruto blew my mind was because even though Naruto's characters weren't, like, all super, like, buffing up and powering up mm-hmm. like Dragon Ball Z, they had defined powers that were like, they, they couldn't do anything beyond those powers, but what mm-hmm. they did with those powers was so creative. Yes. And, and uh, so, so when I see stuff like Mistborn and, and how, and how that's done, it's, it's, it's so much more intriguing seeing these people do what they can do with what they're given versus, mm-hmm. you know, just shooting a big beam of energy at yeah. a planet. <laughs> definitely. That's, that's one of my favorite part of magic systems is, either opening up the system with each storyline and being like, oh, you thought it was just this, but you can actually do this. And like um, showing where it came from or what other abilities it has, either Mm -hmm. that or taking what you have and saying, oh, but did you think about using it like this in this other way? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's, I don't know, I think that's what makes good magic systems are ones that can be expanded while still fitting inside their current rules. And right. Miss Bourne, for example, does that very, very well. And I, I feel like we're going to see a lot of that in Crow Rider. Because, uh, I mean, in, <laughs> in this one, very much, like, the, the first book builds up the world. And we don't actually see a lot of magic. We see a, we see a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see the crow kind of manifesting his powers. Um, but we don't see a whole lot of magic yet. But we do know, like, kind of what the things, like, what things do. Like, what the crows mm-hmm. can do um, on an individual basis. But I think in the, in the next book, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to see a whole lot more of that. Which that comes out is that July? Yeah, July seventh. July seventh. Awesome, awesome. So by the, actually, by the time I think this podcast will be airing, uh, probably a little bit after that that comes out, or right around the same time. I got to look oh, at the calendar, okay. but yeah, yeah. So I think I think it'll line up. So people who are listening, <laughs> first of all, you need to read <laughs> the Stormcrow. Um, you'll love it, and then um, be 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 very happy that after reading the Stormcrow, you can immediately go and get <laughs> the Stormcrow. Cause I, I, will, I will be honest when I was done reading Stormcrow, I was like, Oh shoot. Well, let me go find the next book. And I'm like, I, I saw the picture of the, of the storm before I read Stormcrow. I saw the picture, but I thought it was already out. 
So when um, I finished the Stormcrow, I was like, oh, cool. I can just go ahead and hop over to the next book. And then I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> or not, yeah. <laughs> Not out yet. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I, I've I've got to I've got to like go online and find her and, and, and talk to her about the book at least at least to hold me over until the next one comes out, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but but before we get off of here, something else that that was I think is really strong in the book and that I think doesn't get talked about often enough in writing that I, I think a lot of writers struggle with, myself included, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like I I am not sure how my characters sound when I write them <laughs> um, <laughs> until I read it out loud. Um, and then sometimes I read it to other people, but uh, yeah, dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. I seem to have very strong dialogue, very strong back and forth. Oh my goodness. The conversations between Erison and Thea are so good because Erison is like, Erison is almost trying to be a douchebag, uh-huh. but he's not really. I know. <laughs> like, he tries so hard. And then he's like, crap, I feel bad. And, and Fee is like, like she had it in her head. I'm gonna be a douchebag to this guy from the beginning. Like, yep. So, so their interactions are so awesome that as the book goes on, they soften towards one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I really like what you do, and, and I'm gonna just talk about how you do dialogue in a minute. I, I just keep on commenting on the things I like <laughs> about the book. But what I, really, what I really like what you do is that as it softens up. You know, like the typical thing that happens in, in, in the in these books, and there's nothing wrong with it because it's it's the genre, you know, um, yeah. is that, that that character, those two characters start to develop a romance thing. And and, and it's hinted at a little bit here, mm-hmm. but 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 then um Thea realized or she's not that she realizes, she doesn't I don't think she ever really cared about him quite that way. Mm-hmm. But I think Everson started to care about her maybe in that way. Yeah. Um, but they they soften towards one another to where they're friends i dare to say yeah. <laughs> almost I, yeah. uh but then but then um the the romance gets gets kind of cut there of course there's old boy from the from the shop you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's he into the picture was pretty much a rap for Harrison. but uh <laughs> but you know their, their romance gets it gets cut but i think i thought that was such a good nuance in this story because people usually uh just assume that the two the two most interacting opposite sex characters or opposite gender characters will mm-hmm. you know would come together like that you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but in any case you do that well you you explain their characters well through dialogue and i was kind of interested in your process towards writing out conversations or or how you develop your 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 dialogue when you're when you're writing these stories mm-hmm. you know i would say out of everything in my writing the dialogue is the thing that comes most naturally mm-hmm. um i don't sit there and wonder over dialogue very long and right, I think right. part of that is because I just love banter so much. <laughs> and <laughs> like my daily life, my friends, we talk like that to each other. Nicer, obviously, <laughs> not mean to each other, but we banter a lot. Um, right, right. And so I think kind of like my thought process is always kind of in that mindset. And mm-hmm. so it comes pretty easily. But one of the things that I've always enjoyed is people watching, you know, mm-hmm. Why does this person do that? Why does this person do that? It's, you know, I think it's a lot of writers feel the same way because, you know, it's kind of what we're doing is exploring humanity in our stories. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always found most interesting are the different ways that people speak. Mm-hmm. Um, the cadences that they use, the words that they choose. I have a couple of friends whose speech patterns are just infectious. She'll be around us for like a day and we'll all be speaking like her. And I've always found that so interesting. Like, why, why do we all feel the need to mimic this, this way that you speak or these things that you say? Um, 
I know for and sure I do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you look back and like, okay, why is our entire friend group using this phrase and where did it come from? Mm-hmm. And they're always, they always go back to her. Um, so I think I've always been very aware of the way that people speak and mm-hmm. the different ways that people react to the way that people speak, you know? Right, right. What, how do people react to someone who always speaks their mind versus someone who's always being sarcastic or someone who mm-hmm. only gives one word responses? Right. Um, and I think that's one of, one of the parts of writing that I've always found most interesting and have both consciously and subconsciously paid attention to. <laughs> right, right. I mean, absolutely. Like, I, I think like it's the dialogue is very natural. It's all of it is intriguing. I, I mean, I don't, I can't think of a line of dialogue that isn't catching in some way. Um, every time Rizelle speaks, I'm just waiting for her. Like, I because of Thea's situation in this kingdom, you know, um, I, I just keep thinking. I'm like what is keeping Rizelle from just like killing her? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or killing, or killing, uh, I was really scared for Kiva because like, I, <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, like, you know, I mean, I, she wouldn't go down without a fight, but I'm like, they're going to like send like a whole guard against Kiva or something. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I was, I was really worried, like, like, you know, but, but, but the dialogue, like playing with people's emotions with the dialogue, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even using the, the fire at, at that one point, even though that's not strictly dialogue, but the, the things that, 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 that uh, Rizelle says, you mm-hmm. know, to, she knows that it scares Thea, you know, um, like that, that stuff is powerful. And then also, um, how do you make sure, I guess in your own way that the dialogue is always accomplishing something? Cause one of the, one of the big things that newer writers do, I, I did it. Um, I, I probably still do it to some extent, but I, I shoot every, every edit I do, I'm cutting out mass amounts of stuff that's uh-huh. not necessary. Um, but a lot, a lot of, a lot of the time people drone on the dialogue and then they, they, they just have talking with going on. It's not achieving anything. How mm-hmm. do you make sure that your dialogue is always achieving a goal for the scene? Ooh, that's tough. I, do, I still do that. And I only fix it during edits where I go back and I go, <laughs> right. Oh, you've just been, they're bandering for five pages. And you need to stop. Um, <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's definitely, I think you kind of gave the answer in your question, which is setting making sure that each piece of dialogue does accomplish a goal. A goal. And mm-hmm. I think that those goals should be either communicating new information to the reader right. or characterizing a character. Right. Um, either you're learning something, or actually the third one, I guess, would be moving the plot forward, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, either you're giving info that needs to be communicated, and hopefully they're discovering in, in characters so that it doesn't sound like you, the author, just being like, Hey, I need you to know this. So I'm going to have them talk about it, even though they would never talk about it right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, characterizing, I think, you know, you were talking about the scenes with Rizelle. I think a lot of that scene with the fire, you know, you don't learn anything too big about plot or um, the story in that moment, but you learn a lot about Rizelle and just like how far she'll go to hurt someone mm-hmm. um, yeah. and the things yeah. that she'll say. And the third one, like I said, being moving plot forward. So if, it, if it's, you know, someone says something to someone and that makes them angry and now they don't want to be around that person, that impacts the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't to say, I do believe that there is room for fluff in dialogue. Yeah, um, right. Obviously, you can't be too self-indulgent or you'll, you'll lose your reader. But I think that there is an element of, especially in young adult fantasy, mm-hmm. like, people tend to like banter. And maybe right, I'm speaking yeah. for myself, but I think that, <laughs> I think there's room for a little bit of like, hey, these characters had a couple lines back and forth just for fun, and you know what? That's right, totally right. what they'd say, and I laughed. Funny, I think I think funny moments and cute moments are like the the two the two kinds of moments that are most 
acceptable for not moving plot along or yeah, not moving exactly. character along, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, those moments help to define character even still, because now you're seeing that this other side of the character, you know, like if you, like if all you got from Kiva is like really hardcore, you know, I, I protect you, Anthea, yeah. and don't, you know, <laughs> like just like really, and you never see her laugh. Mm-hmm. That you never really see that aspect of character, but but you get the moments when Kiva, like where, where Kiva's being real serious, and and Thea gets on her nerves, and she and then Thea, and then Kiva kind of cracks and yeah. like laughs, and you know, and, and they kind of banter a little bit. You know, that's good stuff. I mean, that helps honestly still mm-hmm. to define character. So yeah, I think I think stuff like that is important. Otherwise, we wouldn't get, you know, they wouldn't be as lovable. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, it rounds them out. Right, right. Uh, I mean, even I think about like why why people love the like Avengers characters so much in the movies, you know. And it's like a lot of it is the banter, like yes. you like Cap saying language, you know, in the yes. middle of a fight, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. Yes. And <laughs> or, actually, I think that's a fantastic example because you compared Marvel to DC, and yeah. DC is just so the movies are heavy, they're dark, they're gritty, yeah, they are, um, and they're never broken up by a little bit of humor here and there. And I think what Marvel does well by inserting that humor is creating contrast. So mm-hmm. when you go back to that heavy scene, you know, you can see like, oh, this is this is different. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I mean I, I honestly I think that when people are writing dialogue, that those are, are those are some of the things they should achieve. Try to move plot forward, try to move mm-hmm. character forward, have a little have a little banter that helps define the characters and it helps you to get to know other sides of the characters. Like is this character mm-hmm. always serious or do they do they have a funny bone in their body? Like, you know, yes. like <laughs> like when somebody comes and tickles this character, are they just gonna look at you like you're crazy <laughs> or are they gonna laugh? You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's an interesting characterization thing. What happens if you tickle this character? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I I, I want to know what happens if somebody tickles Rizelle. I mean, I think she'll probably oh, kill God. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get to her. Right, right. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, either one of the guards, gonna, like, who are all highly skilled. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to kill you first. Or if you somehow dodge everybody, like, it's she's going to yeah. have a knife at your neck, you know? So... <laughs> uh, but but yeah um yeah so I I guess we I guess we got to kind of bring it to a close kind of kind of wrap it up this has been such a great conversation um I can talk about like different elements of writing <laughs> all freaking day uh I I, I want to let people know that that honestly by the time this podcast is out in in, in the future we're, we're we're in our little podcast TARDIS here um <laughs> sometime in the future when this podcast comes out uh the the book. Uh, the Crow Writer will be available. Um, it comes out July seventh. Um, yep. I think you guys should go ahead and go ahead and buy it. Buy the first one. Um, the first one is also on Audible. Amazing voice actress on Audible. I cannot remember her name right now. Uh, uh, Robin Miles. Robin. My- oh, there it is. Robin. Robin Miles. Amazing voice actor as far as books. She also did uh, N.K. Jemison's the fifth uh, the fifth season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Um, with the whole trilogy, the, the Broken Earth uh, trilogy. So, um, so yeah, if 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 it's hard to read right now, if if you gotta drive a lot, which I mean, I think a lot of people are still stuck in the house, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, whatever is going on, if you need to clean around the house, whatever, you could put on an audio book and listen to the book as it goes. I promise you won't be disappointed. Like I said, I found it on a whim and I loved it. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend um, buying it. Um, where are all the places that it's available? I know it's on Amazon. Um, yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on all the usual places, Barnes and Noble and stuff. But um, 
if you go to my local indie bookstore, which is Kepler's Books, mm -hmm. uh, they're doing signed copies through July 7th. Oh, wow. Awesome. I'm going to have to get another. Well, I only have the digital, <laughs> so I might have to get a physical. <laughs> Just be sure to put it in the comments if you want it personalized so I know. <laughs> got you. Got you. Got you. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, so if you can, can you tell people um, where they can find you at online? Yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at Kaylin Josephson and Instagram, I think, is Kaylin M. Josephson. Got you. Got you. And of course, you can find me in the podcast at fourthwall.net or you can look up Beyond the Fourth Wall. Uh, that is with an IV instead of the actual fourth <laughs> or the actual. <laughs> yeah. So um, and then the podcast is on Spotify, Google, uh, iHeartRadio, any, any of your major podcast services. So uh, honestly, if you, if you Google it, you'll, you'll find it immediately. Um, and yeah, that's all the time we have for this episode. And we will catch you guys next time. Peace out. Oh, 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 o